Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier Podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me tonight via StreamYard is my friend and co-host, Corey Walsh for The Sword. Corey, my brother, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Mac. Uh, we've had uh, an up and down roller coaster in the past few uh, games since we last spoke, but you know, can't ask for anything more. We're heading to postseason time, a time that this podcast hasn't experienced. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I'm right there with you. It's just a lot of emotions uh, over these past few games. And some good, some bad. Uh, some we'll get into today. And with that said, let's get right into some, man. Uh, we have just three games left on the season after the Cavs. After the Cavs dispatched the Indiana Pacers, uh, who are without Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner. But damn, did they give the Cavs a run for their money, bro. Uh, Cleveland was down Isaac Okoro, and that continues to be an absence that's felt that I feel like not enough people are talking about. Uh, it was clear from the start that one team, and that was the Pacers, uh, were, were in it from the jump. I mean, they they appeared to want to be there. Uh, Indiana rookie Ben Matherin, Andrew Nimhard, Jordan Wara were just a few who looked like they came to play. Uh, the Cavs, on the other hand, for at least the first half, looked like they didn't give a single fuck <laughs> about that game. Seriously, dude. Uh, save for one Donovan Mitchell, you know, the resident Cavs superstar, did what we have grown accustomed to see him doing, and that was take over. In case you've been living under a rock recently, Donovan Mitchell notched his 12th 40-point game performance of the season. That, I believe, is the most in a single season in Cavs history, and it's Already the second most 40 or more point game behind LeBron, who has 51 such games across 11 seasons. That's pretty fucking impressive, in my opinion. Corey, Donnie surpassed Kyrie Irving for second most. Would you care to guess who number three is now? Hmm. Uh, Anderson Verichow. (laughs) (laughs) What a hell of a guess. Uh, All-time Cavs big. Uh, number three is Darius Garland. Damn, that's <laughs> so close. Darius Garland, yes. Um, first off, just to get back to this game, uh, watching this Pacers game, were you at all concerned about the level of play from the rest of the supporting cast at any point? Like, I kind of know we we kind of talked recently about Mitchell Hero Ball, uh, that hot take recently. How are you feeling about that? Um, I feel that the Cavs kind of are in cruise control now. Uh, ever since that three seed kind of slipped out of their hands, we're seeing it time to time that uh, this team, I feel like it's just kind of preserving themselves. I mean, the Okoro injury, I feel like definitely probably sent a shock to the system. Seeing as uh, seeing one of the starters go down, we've pretty much been playing down two starters in and out of games recently with Allen just coming back against New York. Um, overall though, uh, the team just looks a little sloppy, but I'm not taking it with any serious consideration for postseason. It's not going to affect how I perceive the series to be injuries are more my concern with this team than what I've been seeing lately. And I mean, I don't think Donovan Mitchell is capable of going anything less than a hundred percent every game. I don't really see him like taking possessions off or anything, unlike some people in the Eastern conference cough, cough, James Harden. Uh, but overall, yeah, no, it's the, the Mitchell and Michettes when time is times are tough. And, uh, that's what needs to happen sometimes for the Cavs to win games. The Mitch <laughs> Mitchell and the bitch. That is a new one. For me. I like that. 
Uh, I mean, for me, you know, like I've, I, I think when we were talking about this initially on Twitter the other day, it's like for most of the time when this happens to occur, it's to the Cavs' benefit. <laughs> um, if a guy like Darius Garland doesn't have it going or, you know, Evan Mobley's just not involved or, you know, you're just not getting consistent offense out of the rest of the starters, anything like that. Uh, Donovan Mitchell just kind of throwing the ball to him and saying, you know, make something happen is usually their best offense. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things where you you know that you're going to feel comfortable giving your superstar the ball when when the moment matters. And I think the Cavs have gotten away with it all season. Unfortunately, I just don't I don't see that changing. Am I saying it's a bad thing? No, because we know that you need top end talent to win at the highest, you know, highest level. But it's not necessarily something that makes you feel great. And I think the Cavs, I mean, you can feel free to disagree with me, but it just kind of felt like they were sleepwalking through that first half. <laughs> At least most of the team, like they, you know, we already know that they're going to the postseason. The the fourth seed is a virtual inevitability at this point in time. Um, it just kind of looked like a lot of them were just not in it mentally, and then Mitchell uh, just absolutely wanted that one. And you know, thank goodness he did because we went out and got it. But it just often seemed like nobody really wanted to be there. Um, some people specifically pointed to guys like Darius Garland. <laughs> uh, some seriously do. Somebody literally suggested that Darius Garland's contract was, was bogus pretty much. That person uh, might not be Twitter blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just for me, like you see Darius Garland going through a, uh, a mini slump or, you know, whatever, what have you. And you're just like, you know, Sometimes it's okay to understand that Darius Garland is not going to have it going. And there are, there have been tons of nights where that has been the case. But even when that is the case, uh, he's contributing in other areas. You see him play make. You see him be able to put guys in a position to score. Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I can't tell you how many times he's put Donnie in a position to score. And uh, Mitch is one of those guys who can – obviously create his own baskets, but it does help to have a floor general out there like DG. That was my takeaway from the game. My primary takeaway. I like, I looked at this and I was like, I think when we were originally looking at this last stretch of games, Indiana was one of the games up there where I think we kind of felt that this, it was definitely a losable game and it it started to feel like it was trending in that direction. But uh, thank goodness they were able to pull it out. But we all know why we're here, and that is to talk Knicks and Cavs, um, the main event. You know, the Cavs are 7-3 and three over their last 10. They still have a three-game lead on the Knicks as of recording this. Uh, the four seed, like I said before, seems like a virtual inevitability. It's pretty much locked up, and that means they'll match up with those Knicks. And if New York loses even one of their next three games, they'll finish no better than the uh, – no better than the five seed. Conversely, if the Cavs win even one of their last three games, it's a done deal. They get four and home court advantage. All of this to say that I'm going to proceed with the assumption that this is the matchup. Cavs, the Knicks. So first off, Corey, I believe that this is a series that we all kind of want to see. Correct me if I'm wrong. It feels like we've naturally been building towards this for a while now, in my opinion. Uh, with so many juicy storylines. I mean, you can count them. Um, there's Brunson versus Mitchell. 
uh, there's Mitchell not becoming a Nick in the first place. Uh, Julius Randle's continued dominance against the Cavs. Take your pick. Uh, but with that said, what does this series come down to? Or rather, what will it come down to? What will be the deciding factor? I think the game that just played out was probably the best indicator of what factors need to be in the Cavs' favor for them to win. And that's playing good defense on Jalen Brunson to not allow him to find his spots and create better offense for a Knicks team that frankly isn't the best offensively. And the presence of both Allen and Mobley are huge for the Cavaliers at the end of the day. I mean, it's fine with one on the floor at times, but I feel like the defensive identity of this team is with is within the bigs. And as we were just seeing without Okoro, for all the people who think he's just a net negative because of his limited offensive ability, we're seeing defensively the power that he has in games. I mean, Jalen Jalen Brunson was defended pretty well by a variety of the Cavs players, but when you're as gifted of a scorer as Jalen Brunson is, he'll he gets it to his spots and will make certain like he'll make shots over the Lamar Stevens type, create separation, but. Those, to me, are the two factors that kind of determine. I mean, I'm counting on the fact that I know what Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are going to bring game to game. And I'm hope, I hope that other players will step up that we'll discuss later. But, yes, those are the two major factors for me right now. And I think that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, you see the absence of Isaac Okoro on, you know, the stat sheet. And you're like, well, you know, just looking at it, it doesn't look like he's adding a whole bunch. If you're not a Cleveland Cavaliers fan and you're looking at uh, at Isaac Okoro on the stat sheet, you're probably thinking to yourself, man, this guy's giving you like six, seven points a game. He's not really doing shit for you. Uh, but it's, it's not necessarily the case. I mean, so much of what Isaac Okoro does and so much of what he brings is on the defensive side of the ball. So when you miss him, you're, that's a huge part of your defensive identity lost out on the perimeter because Lord knows Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell are not noted defenders, although I will say both of them might be having one of their better defensive seasons. Um, you know, especially Donovan, when Donovan's locked in defensively, it often appears like, uh, you know, he's a, he's a pretty good defender when he's actually engaged on that end of the court. But since we also ask Donovan to contribute very heavily on the offensive end, that's not always a given. So you, you need not only a back line of defense like you have in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, but you also need a guy who can go out there and, and to throw on an opponent's best perimeter player, and that typically is Isaac Okoro. So not having him out there is just not great for your team defense or you know when, when you need a guy to go out there and turn the water off. And so obviously the Cavs were not able to do that in that last much matchup where Brunson was on fire pretty much. Uh, but uh, having a Coro in the lineup, that would make me feel confident. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, down the line. But, um, you know, if we do have a healthy Coro, you do have a healthy Jared Allen, I think that the Cavs stand a pretty good chance to be able to kind of turn the water off there. For me, I would say my deciding factors 
are going to be rebounding. That's one thing that you've consistently heard mentioned uh, in, in relation to these two teams. It's been mentioned numerous times that they won't be able to win this series without solid rebounding. Uh, and there might be some truth to that, uh, honestly, just because uh, the Cavs are not a very good offensive rebounding team collectively as they pulled down 9.7 per game that's 20th in the nba compared to new york's 12 and a half which is a top three mark now that in itself isn't a series altering type of stat but when you take into account the fact that the Cavs don't rebound all that well on the defensive end either um, it puts things into perspective uh, quite honestly outside of jared allen and evan mobley the Cavs absolutely struggle on the boards um Allen pulls down 9.9 per game, Mobley 9.1. But beyond that, the Cavs have a real issue. The next qualifying Cavalier is guard Donovan Mitchell at 4.2 per game. That is not ideal. And uh, Mitchell gets the benefit of the doubt there in regards to that leap because have to remember, there is no longer Kevin Love on the roster because Kevin Love had been that that third rebounder that you uh, – that you <laughs> that you can look to when when one of Allen or Mobley needed a breather. Now the Knicks, on the other hand, aren't some like super ultra efficient team. Although they boast a top five offensive rating, which is mighty deceiving, might I add. They don't share the ball. They're 29th in the NBA in assists per game, which might be best highlighted by uh, Julius Randle infamously dropping 57 points, but just one assist in a recent loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves, they just hustle and fight for second-chance points and, and lose rebounds. That's that's really it. And, man, it's not as if they can't – not as if the Cavs can't scrap for them. Like, that's what gets me, especially on the defensive boards. Um, Pre-All-Star break, they ranked eighth in defensive rebound percentage, I believe. They currently rank dead last since the break. And now, we kind of know why that is, but it's still disheartening. It starts with not really having Jared Allen as much. The departure of Kevin Love, who, you know, we just mentioned, uh, who had been the Cavs' third best rebounder, and Dean Wade not really stepping in to fill that role that we all kind of thought he would. And I think the Cavs really thought he would. Speaking of Dean Wade, what did you think of his minutes the other day? It uh, started off great. Um, then it didn't. <laughs> That's my <laughs> Dean Wade analysis. I think JB tried to throw him out there, try to kind of reset the minutes Levert would play in the postseason. Not that Levert was like playing anything special, like, but at the same time, I think he was just trying to kind of fill in the gap without completely disrupting the bench rotation. And I, why, well, who better than the guy who's been in the doghouse for the past two weeks? That sarcasm for those who are listening. I don't. I, <laughs> I. I know everyone was kind of licking their chops to see a version of Tall Ball lineup back, and it it was like it was okay. But as we saw, we came out of the gates pretty sluggish. Not that that's solely because of the lineup. I mean, but Dean didn't really do anything special, honestly. I think he'll go back when the lineup starts. When a uh, Coral comes back into the starting lineup, I don't. I think Dean Wade is still in a let's wait and see type state for postseason because frankly I haven't been uber impressed and I haven't seen anything that unless it's situationally valid to throw Dean Wade out there, I think he'll still get limited to no minutes. I think that's fair. I mean, you got to, you look at his minute totals from this game, this previous game against Indiana, 
just 27 minutes. I mean, that's that's typically consistent with what uh, Isaac Okoro would get. Um, and he, he came up with a very Okorian uh, stat line, five points, five rebounds, two or three from the field. Again, just like Isaac Okoro, who is taking around five to six shots a game, it's just not a lot of production out of that uh, out of that spot, um, all things considered. And the one thing, the one thing I believe that Dean Wade had going in his favor in regards to Isaac Okoro, um, especially after the departure of Love, was the fact that he was considered to be a. I don't know if you saw those <laughs> those air quotes. Uh, he's considered to be um, a bit more of a, a floor spacer than Isaac has been. But like when you're taking three shots a game, is it really something? Is it really an advantage? Because Dean only took two threes yesterday. He did make one, which was nice to see. Uh, <laughs> Good job, Dean. It was nice to see, but is that really enough to really justify con- continuing to put him in the rotation once everybody's fully healthy? Because there's a, there's some question marks into some other guys that we'll get here get to here in a minute, but I'm just not sure if it's enough. Like we we want Dean to be successful, but you know there, he didn't necessarily, in my opinion, he didn't do anything that that warrants like a serious amount of hype. It was nice to see him out there though, and it, it's it's nice to be able to count on him when you don't have a core available. Dean Wade is like the friend you had in college right now where like you thought you had these good memories of him. You think it's going to be a great time. And then you see him again for the first time in months. And you're like, wow, I actually didn't really enjoy you that much. I think <laughs> 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 to go Bill Simmons on you with the weird analogies. <laughs> Not Bill Simmons. Look, man, like, like I said, we want Dean to be successful. It's just, we, we don't have a, anything to really bank on right now. We don't have any goodwill stored in, in, in the reservoir to, to consider him a viable member of the rotation, at least right now, especially considering we're about to enter the postseason. Um, I, I don't know. It's just for me, I, I, I really don't know what to expect out of him, so I'm not going to harp on him too much. Uh, so back to this deciding factor here. The Cavs, just to make a note of it really quickly, they've been out-rebounded in all four matchups against the Knicks this season, with the absolute worst being the two games in which Jared Allen missed, uh, where the Knicks were able to win the battle on the boards by a margin of 15 in both. 15, Corey. That is ridiculous. Um, Allen, by definition of that, might be the most important Cavalier in this series. Um, so my question for you, my friend, while the simple answer might be a healthy Jared Allen, uh, what can the Cavs do to circumvent this? Like how can they how can they prevent the Knicks from attacking the board so aggressively? I don't know if it's an issue of the Knicks attacking the boards aggressively. It's just that outside of Allen and Mobley the original like the consistent rotation the cavaliers are a secretly very small team they they i know when people think of the cavaliers you think of the two seven footers they have at the four and five but every other position is frankly quite small i mean most lineups they have they could throw they're throwing lamar out at the four right now lamar is like at is a, a tall three but a small four which is kind of an issue of his. I mean, they'll play some rotation with Dean Wade at the four, I'm pretty sure, but he doesn't get enough minutes. And frankly, I don't think of him as a great rebounder necessarily. 
So it's more just that when the two bigs are on the floor, they just need to combat the, the, the Knicks are a much taller team in all aspects. I mean, their two, their, their guards are frankly smaller, but are equal size to the Cavs. But overall, this is just, this is just going to have to be when our tallest players are on the floor. They're just going to have to be out physical are going to have to have to be more physical than the Knicks overall. And it's not something that could be like X's and O's because when you only have the the size that you have, you can't just give someone magic beans and make them grow like three feet. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, if you could. Uh, Yes. If that was the case, you know, numerous Cavaliers would probably, you know, be having a very good season as rebounders. But, you know, for me, I'm like, what can you do? Like team rebounding is such a finicky thing. Like you obviously Jared Allen and Epimobi give you a chance to limit some of those extra possessions uh, that the Knicks are inevitably going to be able to snag in some regard. But beyond them, you just, you don't want to find yourself in a position where you're having to go tall just to go tall. Like I, I, I would hate to have to do that. I mean, you do have some big bodies on the roster and Robin Lopez uh, beyond that. Uh, but you just can't necessarily f- operate that way. And I think um, some of this is just going to come down to pure luck, uh, I guess. But I think if you're able to put yourself in a good position uh, in regards to that, you should be able to kind of negate the advantage that they have in regards to the size department. Uh, they're just a very good rebounding team. And like I said before, they're not efficient at all. They don't share the ball at all. They just make the most of their ability to garner those additional opportunities, which is something that can be big time for a team that loves to take a ton of shots. When you got a Julius Randle on your roster, when you have a Jalen Brunson on your roster, you know you're going to get a lot of shots out of those guys. Um, that said, you know we know uh, we've seen the stars go off uh, whenever these two teams have played. For example, Donovan Mitchell has averaged 31.8 points in this season series across those four games. Uh, Julius Randle has chipped in 23, 10, and five. Jalen Brunson 25 points. Darius Garland 19.7. Uh, Corey, when it all comes down to it, to win at the highest level, your stars often have to shine. But with that said, give me your prediction for who will end up being the MVP of the series and why. I feel like the MVP of the series is probably going to be Evan Mobley, if I'm being honest. Um, I just feel... Like if there was a Cav that's meant to step up, I kind of view the MVP as someone who's outperforming what I would expect from them in a series. I think I know what I'm going to get from Mitchell and Garland on a night to night basis. Yes. Mobley is going to have hit or uh, yes. Donovan's going to have his probably like 30 to 40 points a game. I'd be shocked if he scores sub 30 unless in like it, unless it's in a loss for the most part. I would say Darius is probably going to be hovering around like a 20 and 20 and six, 20 and eight. But uh, Mobley is the rising star of the Cavs right now. And I feel like when he's a player who, when the lights shine bright, he will persevere through. I mean, it was, you can't look at the last game with the Knicks without Allen and think that Mobley 
uh, what just mobley out there. He was a defensive force on his own. That wasn't the problem. It's just when he has that anchor of Allen, he it allows him to do what he does best and not play necessarily the traditional center. And like the the power forward position has been killing the Cavs, especially the stretch four. And that's no fault of Evan Mobley whatsoever. It's just that the way that the Cavs defensive scheme is, it's just they don't draw the bigs. They draw the bigs out so far or they try to, to make it so the Cavs can't protect the paint. But JB has made it abundantly clear by the various amount of stretch fours that have killed the Cavs this season that they're just going to stand pat in there. But I think Mobley versus Randall is a very interesting dynamic in this series. And even if Randall is going to be a little hobbled off the injury, but I think Mobley is going to really kind of show the national audience why he should have won rookie of the year over Scotty <laughs> Barnes and why he going into next season is definitely one of the top players in the league going forward because he needs to step up to the bill the way that I think the team wants him to the players know he can and the fan base is starting to see over this stretch that he can be as well. I think that is an excellent point, my friend. And might I add, Evan Moby may or may not get robbed for another award in the Defensive Player of the Year, which is absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion. Uh, more on that here in a little bit. But yeah, that is definitely a matchup to keep an eye on. If Evan Mobley can break out against the Knicks, I mean, this that might put the team over the top. Uh, and just to kind of paint a picture here, Evan Mobley has averaged 13.3 points, 7.8 rebounds, and 3.5 assists across those four matchups that the Cavs have had against the Knicks this season. So he is pretty vital. Um, it's definitely... <laughs> Uh, it's definitely one of those things where you're going to have to wait and see if they're able to kind of cool Randall off because Randall has been absolutely uh, a scorcher of a player against Cleveland this season. Like I said, 25, 10 and five, uh, 23, 10 and five against the Cavs. And it's not like it's super inefficient for him individually. He's just, he's killed the Cavs. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but he has. And like you mentioned, Stretch fours typically are the Cavs' bane of existence, uh, especially star uh, stretch fours, guys who can go out there, Pascal Siakam, uh, Julius Randle, guys like that who can go out Grant there. Grant Williams. <laughs> <laughs> guys like that who can go out there and space the, both space the floor and uh, use their body enough within the painted area to garner some points and draw some fouls. And that has also been a, a point of contention. Uh, because it leaves the Cavs without a uh, a viable option, you know, off the bench since you no longer have Kevin Love. Uh, I really do hope that Mobley is able to do that, man, but I I don't see it happening this series. Um, hopefully it does, um, just because it would be another feather in the cap for Mobley, something else that the national audience would be able to look at and say, well, yeah, maybe we got it wrong. Uh, maybe we should have voted this guy of the year. Maybe we should give this guy defensive player of the year, but who knows uh, for me. And I know this is probably going to be everybody else's answer uh, and I'll be no different. Um, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, for me, when, when the offense slows down to a screeching hole, when Darius Garland doesn't have it going, when Evan Moley's been taken out of the offense by the opposing team, uh, there remains one constant, and we all know who that is. That is Donovan Mitchell. 
Dude, I can't tell you how many possessions we've seen the Cavs just hand the ball to Don, just ask him to cook. <laughs> I mean, that's what they did against Indiana. Um, and more often than not, he comes through. Um, so I think he's probably going to have to do it again in the postseason uh, when things seem to slow down. And we already know the storyline there. Cavs play with an abysmal pace. <laughs> but the crazy thing is uh, both the Cavs and the Knicks play with, uh, I think, bottom five paces right now. So with that said, um, how much do you think that'll factor in? Do you think the pace of play is really going to be that big of a deal? Uh, no, because the Knicks also just can't play at a fast pace whatsoever. They have to be methodical with the their ball movement because they don't have any. <laughs> so, like, yes, like a terrible amount of assists. They're, like I said, 29th, I believe, in assists per game. They're a very ISO heavy team, and they're like the Cavs in the sense where their best version of offense is transition offense. But if you get them in the half court, it's a real uh, ugly watch, to say the least. This series against the Knicks could easily just be a brick fight. Just to people, it's, <laughs> it's just. <laughs> It's just going to be really painful at times, unless you're a fan of both those teams, or if you're one of the sickos out there who just wants to watch really good defense, because that's something that these two teams do very well. And uh, offensively in the half court, I feel they both kind of struggle, and they both have really slow pace of play and shot attempts per game. So overall, it's going to be tough times (laughs) for those who are hoping for some Houston Rocket, Golden State Warrior S series a la 2018. I mean, it's going to be a barn burner, right? <laughs> I mean, the tons of points are going to be put out. Nah, I mean, we know what New York can do. They they have such a, a, a highly rated offense because they get so many of those second chance points, so many of those extra possessions. So I am expecting a high scoring affair in a few of these games, but I think it's going to be a slow down, kind of grinded out uh, type of game. I do not see a ton of transition baskets occurring. I just don't, uh, but that could be the case. Both teams generally thrive in that. We, we, we know specific players on Cleveland's end that are, that really thrive in that type of environment, i.e. a Coro, somebody like a Jetty Osman guys, Donovan Mitchell, throw him in there. Um, guys who really thrive in the, in transition and in the fast break. Um, I don't see that being the case through this possibly seven-game series. Um, let me ask you, my friend, do you think this is going to need seven full games? Uh, it really depends on the health of Isaac Okoro, honestly. If JB earlier came out with a quote saying he's not necessarily certain when Okoro could come back or if he's ready for it. And that changes a, a lot that I feel like that kind of opens the door to a seven game series. I I'm not, I feel like I'm in the minority. I am not overly scared of this Knicks team whatsoever. I think the Cavs have full health in the playoffs could, I think they have two of the best, two of the three best players in this series and they have other players. I have more faith can step up in a night to night basis than the Knicks cast of characters as well. So frankly, I, I feel like if the Cavs are at full strength, I would see this going five or six versus seven. Um, I think heading into the series prior to like the, the absence of a prior to learning that, um, Julius Randle can miss some time. 
I would have said that this is going to be like a six gamer. Um, but I honestly am starting to believe just watching some of these games, like this is going to be a seven game series, bro. Like one that I think everybody is going to need to turn in, uh, tune into, not just Cleveland fans. If you are a fan of basketball, this is a series for you. This is this is a series for you. This is must see basketball. There's just so many storylines here. There are so many juicy little details to look at here. And quite honestly, like I know this is going to sound like blasphemy coming from a Cavs fan, but I mean, who would have thought? Like at least me. Like you can correct me if uh, you know if I'm wrong. You know, express your opinion whatsoever. But Jalen Brunson, I have been very impressed with Jalen Brunson this season, like leaving Dallas. I was like, yeah, that's overpaid. (laughs) I don't know if I would have given Jalen Brunson that much money if I'm New York, but man, has he made me eat my words. What are your thoughts on Jalen? I think Brunson, uh, his impact is definitely being felt by both the teams that he was both on and off. I mean, the Mavericks are in turmoil, and tried to supplant him with a cast of characters (laughs) that then turned into Kyrie Irving, which when you put all your eggs in the Kyrie Irving basket, it could only go one of two ways. Really good. Oh, what a shock. Who saw this coming? (laughs) The guy who tells every team he goes to, Oh yeah, I'll be back next season. And then is the first one to open the door to leave when times are not looking so hot. Luca looks like he needs to go to like anger management sessions. He's saying he's not having fun playing basketball anymore. Coincidentally, when Kyrie Irving arrives and the Knicks get Jalen Brunson, who was probably, I mean, for playing as well as he did in Luca's shadow, it, it only the, the most shocking part wasn't the fact that he can score at the volume he has been because I he's always been known as a good offensive shooting guard. But overall, uh, his the way he's been able to unlock Randall has been the secret to the Knicks' success this season. I mean, we've seen the up and downs of Julius Randall in the past three seasons alone where it's either been really good or really bad. And... <laughs> I guess the secret to it for this season is that Jalen Brunson allows Randall to not have to be the primary ball carrier for the, the Knicks. And he was last season. And when Randall needs to have his ego pumped up with the fact that he is the sole X factor of the Knicks, it's not, you don't want to live by live and die by the Randall decision-making at point forward. So having him become a secondary option and then having Brunson to play off of and allowing Brunson to be that release valve for them has really opened up in ways that I don't think I ever or anyone really, really foresaw for the Knicks offense. I think people were expecting it to be more of a combination of Randall or a, a Brunson and Barrett, like a good backcourt or a good front court and nope, or backcourt, sorry, <laughs> a good backcourt. But overall, it's been crazy how well it's worked and people, I, I, t- I was thinking half like earlier in the season that is Tibbs kind of killing this team. And now the team is once again in the, the Thibodeau image. This is exactly what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, I, I'm going to say they're like 12th in the NBA in scoring right now. And a lot of that has to do with the combination of those two guys, the pace, the play that they play at. I, 
Like it's crazy to me that they score as many points that they do as they do with such a slow pace. But having Jalen Brunson uh, available to take some of those possessions, you know, off of Julius Randle's hands, as we know, you know, they do play a lot of isolation ball. But having him there as an outlet has worked wonders for them, like you said. Um, I the man they paid the man one hundred and four million dollars. Um, and I thought that was an overpay like at the time. And I don't, I don't know, maybe some people feel that way. Maybe some people were like, yeah, this is, this is pretty good money for this player. But I honestly did not see Jalen taking this type of swing. I mean, dude's averaging 24, three and a half in over six assists per game. That's to me, that that's big time. Um, he's, he's played very well in a huge market there in New York. And um, I got to ask, Do you think at this point in time right now that the Knicks regret not trading for Mitchell? I feel like as a Knicks fan, they're kind of just soaking in the fact that they're playing playoff basketball again. The Garden, when the Knicks are good, is one of the most tense places that a team could play basketball in. Um, I think that while they're probably upset they couldn't have paired Mitchell with Brunson, that frankly at the end of the day uh, that I don't think Brunson could become the player he is now if Donovan Mitchell was there. And I know the argument could be like, well, Darius is playing the same way he played without him, but Darius is like more of a true point guard than Jalen Brunson is. I think of Jalen Brunson as a score first point guard and Darius is more of the traditional. I'm going to look for my to feed the, my teammates before I feed myself. Not saying that Brunson's like a <laughs> ball hog or anything, but I, I just don't think the two of them together would pair up as smoothly as what we're seeing with the Cavs guards. I think that's a very underrated part. And when you're when you reference that, it's like for people who look at Darius Garland are like, you're not having as good a season as you had last year. I mean, that's just frankly bullshit to me. Like look at the seamless fit that Donovan Mitchell has had next to this man. And that's, that speaks volumes about the type of player that Darius Garland has become. Like he's like, he, he has essentially sacrificed his, his role as the number one guy and handed the keys directly to Donovan Mitchell. And that speaks volumes about him. Now, Jalen Brunson, on the other hand, I'm not sure if that trade would have necessarily had him, uh, given him the ability to break out like he has. But I would say that uh, just from the outside looking in, if I was a Knicks fan, I would be pretty damn happy with what I've gotten uh, and not making that deal. And it could be just frankly because I feel like they didn't need to. Um, and, and I think they realize that, and that's no slight against the Cavs for making the trade because we obviously all are very happy about Donovan Mitchell here in Cleveland, but the Knicks to me didn't need to make that deal. Uh, so, you know, I'm just as an outside observer, uh, a fan of basketball, I am, I'm happy for them because they didn't have to give up a ton and they still got a ton of production out of their, uh, their main guys there. Uh, with that said, while it's a pretty safe bet to assume that the Stars will play the biggest role in determining the outcome of this series, uh, sometimes an unlikely hero emerges as the biggest asset to a team, and the Cavs may be no different. There are already a, f- a handful of candidates that come to mind when you think of X-Factors in regards to the Cavs, but with that being said, who do you think that honor will belong to in this series, Court? 
if the Cavs win this series, it's because they limit the uh, efforts of <laughs> the guy we just spent a good five minutes talking about, Jalen Brunson. <laughs> um, and that man is Isaac Okoro. Uh, this is going to really age well when the uh, report comes out that Okoro <laughs> is shut down for the season. Um, but God, man, that would be terrible. <laughs> that would be uh, apropos for Cavalier fans to get so close, only for a player that, mo- let's be honest, most fans have been shitting on all season. Really <laughs> that uh, when the moment needs him most, he he isn't available, so we feel his presence not as much. But. Yeah, Okoro on Brunson is the matchup to watch. I mean, we, you, uh, friend of the podcast, Tony Pesta, has a great thread of Okoro's defense in the past on, um, on Jalen Brunson, and you can just see the difference. I mean, Lamar, I know I, I have been one to say that uh, offensively they're similar, but defensively, I think a lot of fans think there is uh, similarities between the two of them. And this is no slight against Lamar. I mean, Isaac's one of the best on-ball defenders in the league, but also his feet are much faster than Lamar Stevens is. And Brunson has a handle that can easily shake Lamar. And that's not, again, saying Lamar sucks at defense. So people who think who are going to aggregate my statement as this being, oh, Lamar's a terrible defender and Jalen Brunson, (laughs) if he's on him, the series is over. It's just more... It's just, it's just that Coro is so, is so valuable to this team's defense, especially for the guards. I mean, you can't rely. I guess the uh, substitution would be Karras. I mean, yes, Karras's defense has been a lot better, but again, the gap between Lavert's defense and Coro's defense is massive, and his the Cavs defense needs to win this series. It's their bread and butter. And I know the, the, the front court is what everyone thinks about when they think about the Cavs defense. And it is the identity of it. But the, the straw that stirs the drink defensively is Isaac Okoro allowing for more defensive versatility amongst the guards. Absolutely. Yeah. And just to kind of uh, put a little bow on that, Isaac Okoro, when being the primary defender of Jalen Brunson, has limited Brunson to 2 of 11 from the field and 1 of 3 from three-point range. That is good for 18.2%, ladies and gentlemen. That right there is precisely why you need to have a guy like Okoro out there. Uh, Brunson doesn't give you 40-plus points a game uh, against the Cavs if I – in my opinion, just does not happen. And so if Isaac Okoro's absence has not taught you anything, let it be this. He is fully capable of turning the water off of a high-end perimeter player. And that is value. If you're not seeing a ton of production from him offensively, you can live with that. If he's out there just completely snatching the souls out of an opposing player's. Shot, you know, it's just one of the thing. Uh, one of the things you look at, and you just don't appreciate it enough when you're talking about Azucaro. So he could certainly be an X factor in this series. Uh, for me, I'm going to cheat a little bit here <laughs> uh, and give two players. For me, the first person is probably going to be uh, Karis Levert for many of the reasons that we've listed in the past year. Um, you need, and and we've often said this year, at least. You know, this is our opinion, and I think we're of the same belief here. I think Karis Levert is the fifth most important calf um, this season, uh, just for what he's 
what he's able to do in, in so many different regards. Uh, Isaac Okoro is definitely glorified for his defensive uh, chess, things he's able to do. But in my opinion, it's going to come down to Karis LeVert being able to provide a spark off of that bench because, as we all know, can be very woeful at times. Uh, you're just not getting consistent play out of most of the bench outside of LeVert, who, frankly, in my opinion, um, I think the inconsistency talk in regards to LeVert has been wildly overblown because he's, I feel like he's been consistent for a while now. And so I think he's going to be one of the biggest factors, one of the biggest deciding factors uh, for this series. He's going to have to be able to step up. Um, and he he honestly simply must. Um, and then number two for me, and this might sound like blasphemy, Darius Garland. Darius Garland must come to play in this series. On the season against the Knicks, while he's averaging 19.7 points per game, he's doing so in a troubling 34.5% from the field and 36.8% from three-point range. That's When I saw that, when I looked that stat up, Corey, I was astounded. I didn't think it would be that. Like, you see 19.7 points, you're like, okay, this guy's – this guy's he's providing a, a solid enough amount of points, but it's not coming con- like efficiently at all. And mind you, this isn't a season where he has actually been more efficient than his All Star season last year. Uh, but against the Knicks, for some reason, like they're just they're they're playing him perfectly. Uh, he's been able to contribute as a playmaker, uh, but we need him to be able to do more because we cannot expect Donovan Mitchell to carry this team, uh, you know, over the top uh, each night. If you're the Cavs and you're looking at the the play of Darius Garland versus the Knicks this season, what gives you confidence heading into the postseason that he'll be able to kind of get out of that slump in the playoffs? Because he's fiending for it, Mac. <laughs> These are his <laughs> you, words. You, you had that story in your brain that entire time I was going on that rant, huh? Yeah, no, I just feel like a, a player like Garland can thrive in the playoffs because he can it, – it won't be uh, – he can be the Robin to Mitchell's Batman if that needs to be the case. I think in the playing games last year, he had a lot to carry in terms of the offensive load – for a Cavs team that was honestly pretty banged up in all all aspects. <laughs> That's and, an understatement. And as bad as we think the shooting is off the bench this year, it was infinitely worse last season. And Garland really had to carry a lot. So I think being able to have release valves around him, having a better version of Mobley than last year, having Allen, having Donovan Mitchell, I think, this is kind of set up for Garland to kind of thrive in this series. I'm, and also I just, I know the Knicks have kind of given him fits in the past, but I think I, there is a, a roadmap for Darius Garland to be successful because something that aggravates Cavs fans, but I think will actually play into uh, Darius's play style is that he is very selective with his shot. You wouldn't consider him an erratic shooter where he's just, throwing up empty possessions. And I think because he likes to pick and choose his spots, it's actually going to benefit the Cavs in this series. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie here. I'm a little worried 
I'm a little worried just because I feel like that whatever defensive scheme that they've used on Garland, it has worked in four games. And and hopefully, you know, that is just a microcosm of Darius just not having it. Um, it's just not necessarily encouraging when you when they have been able to do it consistently. Like he is shooting sub 40 percent. Uh, granted, he's giving you almost 20 points a game and over six plus assists a game. But, um, you know, it's just it, it's a little bit troublesome. And I think that you can get away with it. If if other guys have it going on, i.e. a Donovan Mitchell, i.e. a Evan Mobley, like we talked about earlier. But I am a little bit concerned. So I'm hoping that, you know, that we don't see that as a consistent theme throughout this series. Uh, hopefully he has at least – if he can get the, 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 the first bad game out of the way, uh, I'm okay with that. But I don't want to see that uh, as a consistent theme. Uh, that said, my friend – we know that, you know, just plainly based upon the tape that we have and the lineups that we've seen, uh, J.B. Bickerstaff has experimented with the rotation at points this season. But assuming the Cavs are fully healthy, um, is it fair to assume that the starting or whether the playoff rotation will look a little something like this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would expect the team to kind of look the same. I know there's people out there who would be shocked if Dean Wade gets minutes. I think anywhere between Jetty, Lamar, and Dean could be a minute-to-minute type uh, situation. I think there's definitely flux in the bench because I think we have definitely seen over the season that it's not been the most consistent thing in the world, as you uh, so eloquently said earlier. <laughs> but uh, ironically enough, I would say that Karras, uh, the Lesurgence, has earned him a guaranteed, uh, <laughs> as you said, he's the most uh, big X factor for this team in the postseason, but yeah, I, I don't think JB's going to tinker with it too much. I could just see a uh, rotation of Lamar, Jetty and Dean, depending on the given situation. But for the most part, you definitely have it on the nose. Okay. Yeah. And I know we can't see it here just because our overlay is covering it up, but <laughs> Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens is actually that next. Oh <laughs> yeah. They're actually, in that, they're actually in that next group. Um, he, uh, Asked a very important question down here. Why not Hal Nettle? This is something that I pondered in my mind as I watched this this last game against Indiana. And I have to say this. I'll say this about Hal. Every single time you put Hal Nettle out there, this man takes his assignment very serious. And I absolutely adore that, especially from a guy who does not get minutes consistently. And I'll also say this about Ricky Rubio. It's very clear to me that either one of two things has occurred. One, Ricky Rubio is not fully back from his injury. That is a perfectly reasonable assumption. Number two is that Ricky Rubio is just not the same Ricky Rubio that we got last season. And I think that that is also a valid stance to take. So, Coral, ask you this. How nettle? Would you consider shortening or splitting the minutes between Rubio and Howell or completely replacing Rubio with Howell? 
I think if Rubio doesn't look like he's up for that certain game, I'd be very comfortable switching uh, Neto with Rubio for that game in particular. And we've seen JB do that throughout the most recent stretch this season. And I think there is no reason why Rubio should be out there off of merit when he's not playing well in that in particular game. And I'm not saying I, I think it's more of a, the the case of him not being fully healthy from the injury because there's nothing in my mind that says that that ACL injury should have taken a step back from Rubio. He's not an athletic freak. He is a methodical guard that plays at his own pace. So I think that's why it kind of says to me that it's more of an injury type um, than him sliding. And Neto can easily just be an instigator and a playoff (laughs) personality that is important to set the tone the same way that Lamar was earlier in the season when he earned his minutes back into the lineup. So there definitely is a case for Neto and it doesn't need to, I don't see a situation in which Neto and Rubio would split. It would just be flat out in a game that Rubio goes out for a few minutes, doesn't look to have his legs under him. And I could see JB making the swap. I think that that is reasonable. Um, just to kind of put a ball on this one, uh, Hal Neto against New York when he faced off against Jalen Brunson, he actually held Jalen Brunson to 0 of 5 from the field, which is a pretty substantial uh, stat in my opinion, just because everybody else was getting cooked. I mean, from Donovan Mitchell, I think was like 7 and 9 against Brunson. I want to say DG. DG actually held his own. But, uh, on the stat sheet, uh, 3 uh, he held Brunson to 3 but Neto was by far the best defender. And I know we kind of referenced this earlier with like the Lamar versus Okoro kind of thing, but please, for the love of God, JB, I do not want to see Lamar Stevens facing off against a guard like that. I, if it's do not want to see Lamar Stevens as the primary defender on Jalen Brunson. <laughs> Um, just absolutely getting cooked out there. Um, and then last but not least, I do have to ask this before we head out of here because tons of fans have been clamoring about it. Danny Green, you signed Danny Green. He was your he was your acquisition. I think he was your first acquisition after the trade deadline on the buyout market. And the thought process was, I believe by most fans was that, Hey, we're going to kind of work this guy back. We're going to try and see what he has left in the tank. And maybe we'll be able to feature him within that rotation on like towards the bottom, uh, come postseason time. Is there a world in this first series? Is there a reality where you see Danny green playing playoff minutes? Um, honestly, probably not. I think it's more of a rehab effort for him and the postseason isn't a time to kind of use uh, a cardio session for <laughs> Danny green. You can save that for scrimmage. Um, I think the only way he gets in is if the Cavs need to space the floor more off their bench and no one else is hitting shots because that three pointer, no matter how, um, sluggish as those legs look. They aren't affecting his jumper. He's looked pretty decent when he's had uh, the time shooting-wise. Otherwise, no, he has not looked pretty decent. But, yeah, I think that's the only recipe for Danny Green seeing the floor. <laughs> um, I'm, like, right there with you. Like, no disrespect to Danny Green, but clearly he's not ready yet or he's not healthy yet or the Cavs and JB – uh, have not felt comfortable enough to make him like a primary 
uh, a primary reserve. He's just not there yet, apparently, or or JB trusts other guys over him, which is perfectly fine. You have a season worth of tape with the rest of these players. You have Karras, who you know is an absolute lock for that rotation. Ricky Rubio, who may or may not split some time with Hal Neto. And then Jetty Osman, who might be like the most pliable of the uh, postseason rotation. You might be able to like kind of move him here and about. Uh, in regards to some of those other uh, reserves, you know, you got your Lamars of the world, you have your Deans. Um, Jetty Osman might be the guy there if you're going to put Danny Green and give him any minutes. But, yeah, I just don't see it happening. Um, that said, just want to get you on the record one final time. Cavs in how many games? If is playing six. If he's not playing seven, six, he's going <laughs> six, seven. <laughs> where, where does your confidence at, man? Uh, uh, you know, it's just the postseason. Anything can happen. Like, really I don't want. It's really like the the talent gap isn't wide enough to where I think it could be a five, and I definitely don't think it's going to be a four. It will definitely not be a sweep. I don't think it'll be a gentleman's sweep either. It's not happening in five games. This is likely to go at least six with the very, very high possibility that it goes seven. I believe it goes seven in Cleveland's favor. I think they're able to win here and as a first, uh, you know, first uh, series win in about six years, right? Mm-hmm. Cavs' last playoff appearance was 2017-2018 with LeBron leading the charge. We know how spectacular of a playoff run LeBron had then. Hopefully the Cavs are able to kick off another explosive and dominant uh, playoff showing here in their first appearance in that long. Um, but, I mean, I, I do definitely see this going seven games. And with that said, like we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to It's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com, and we'll send you that invite. That said, have a good night, and go Cavs. Go Cavs.